0: This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. Last week, we saw something unfold in the U.S. Capitol that's unlike anything this country has seen in more than 200 years. There was an armed insurrection with lawmakers having to flee out of fear of violence and hide in undisclosed locations for hours. People died. And all this came from a Trump-supporting mob that was fueled by claims from the president and other prominent Republicans about unfounded voter fraud that somehow led to the election being stolen from Trump. Now, to be totally clear... There have been no proven claims of any voter fraud that changed the outcome of the election. And courts have, a, have been asked to examine claims and nearly universally dismiss them. And we've seen a lot of reporting on Montana's Republicans in Congress and their role in this. But those claims didn't stop in D.C. They were also echoed in the state house here by lawmakers who say that Trump's battle isn't done yet. This kind of rhetoric isn't new, and neither are the things like the Stop the Steal rally that was held the same day here, it was dramatically different in that it wasn't violent. Seaborn, you talked to state lawmakers who have furthered Trump's claims. Can you tell us what they said after the insurrection last week?
1: Yeah. You know, I should say first that almost everyone in that story uh, we reported last week denounced the violence that took place at the Capitol in DC last week. Over the course of reporting that story, the death toll from that riot went from one to four to five, and no one ever celebrated that. But I did speak with a number of lawmakers who said they believe themselves that the election was either stolen from President Trump or compromised in some way. One of those legislators, Senator Teresa Manzella, told me she was in contact with a number of people from Montana, from Ravalli County, who were inside the Capitol. She described their entry almost like it was going with the flow with this violent mob that had appeared out of nowhere, but said that her people were detained by law enforcement briefly and then uh, released after they answered some questions.
0: So these are Republican lawmakers that you spoke to, but in reading your story, it's clear that not all of the GOP feels the same about this. Could you parse out what these different, different perspectives are?
1: Yeah. And I think we see people kind of getting information from different, uh, from different areas, and then and then kind of harboring that information differently. So, Sir, Senator Manzella is someone who kind of inhales her information from Facebook when she's interacting directly with a lot of people who believe that their constitutional uh, rights were violated by the process that declared Joe Bri- Joe Biden the next president. After someone, for example, posted a link um, to some site suggesting that Jake Chansley, he's this guy. Who was seen in a lot of the photos at the Capitol in the Viking hat, um, suggesting that he was a member of Antifa and that the riot was this staged event to make uh conservatives and Trump supporters look bad. Um, before long, Teresa Manzella had shared that link on her Facebook page herself. And so um when I just Googled Viking hat capital, something that simple. I found stories identifying this person by name as a QAnon supporter who had been um, in Arizona and been kind of a presence there for some time. Another reporter here in Helena had told me who that guy was, but the reason I did that search was just to try to f- use the most simple caveman language to see if I could find some information um, on this guy and, and show that the suggestion that he was Antifa was bunk. And that's kind of what Teresa Manzella's Facebook page is like. I talked to another Republican lawmaker, uh, Representative Steve Gunderson from Libby. This was the morning after the riot at the Capitol. And by then, Congress had certified the election results. And it was official Joe Biden was going to be the next president. And I wanted to know what he thought about this moment for the Republican Party, where Trump was out and um, he said the coup is complete, which was a really striking thing to hear, having just watched complete havoc at the Capitol on television less than 24 hours earlier. But he was talking about it from the complete other side of the conversation. He's kind of this show me guy. So even if the U.S. Department of Homeland Security has already said like they have that the 2020 election was the most secure election in American history. If no one's going to release the the proof or the investigative materials, uh, to the public that show the election wasn't compromised in those disputed states, then he doesn't feel like all the claims should be just swept aside. But, um, certainly there are Republicans who have spoken out and have, um, called Trump out for for lying about the election being stolen from him. I know Holly's um, done a lot of reporting on kind of this divide in the GOP at the state level here for a couple of years now.
2: Yeah, I think what was interesting, Seaborn, in your story to me is seeing where Republicans kind of fell on this. I know you talked to Representative Frank Garner, who's sort of in this Solutions Caucus group that we've all reported on a lot over the last couple sessions, Or kind of don't like being labeled as more moderate Republicans, but that's sort of where they fall. And they partner with Democrats to pass stuff like Medicaid expansion. But you also talked in that story to Matt Manfort, who's a former lawmaker who's been pretty active in a lot of these efforts where we have like Republican primaries, looking at like the one Manzella was in, in the Bitterroot over the summer, where she won against Nancy Balance, um, who was trying to move from the House to the Senate, was a leader in that Solutions Caucus of Moderate Republicans. And it People, including Menforten, have done a lot of work to help the more conservative Republicans win those races. But then in your story, you know, we've got Menforten talking about how he thinks Manzella should be stripped from her committees in the session. You know, I, I read a Facebook post that Menforten had up in December before this insurrection and everything, but he was saying, you know his frustration is that more moderate Republicans aren't getting bogged down in all of these conspiracy theories and that they're serious about seizing power and using it so they're not having you know their attentions drawn away by stuff like what you know a lot of the conspiracies and things that you reported on so I think that division just seeing it play out in this way and we've seen it play out on the House floor and in legislation and all that but this is kind of a, a different format for that that's interesting to me <sighs>
0: So Seaborn, I'm curious about what's next for all this. Uh, We haven't really seen much at the Capitol beyond press releases or moments of silence to honor people who died in D.C., but it sounds like there's potential for events this weekend
1: uh, and into Inauguration Day. Yeah, the FBI this week put out a notice that um, they had found information suggesting there's going to be potentially violent demonstrations at all 50 state capitals around the country in sort of the days leading up to the inauguration next week. Um, There's, there's not a whole lot that's been advertised here locally as far as what we should expect at the Capitol in Helena. Um, We kind of got a taste of what kind of people may be out there last Wednesday uh, here in Helena as the insurrection was happening in Washington, D.C. But um, following that event, we just are not really sure yet what to expect, um, here in Montana.
2: One thing I just wanted to jump in and ask Seaborn, and this is a conversation I think us reporters at the Capitol been having this week that we've never really have had before, but just about safety in the building. And, you know, like if you feel safe up there, I I think I do. And we talk about this a lot, but like there's a lot of protests and they're all pretty calm, like we've seen. But then a lot of people are armed at them, too. And I think that's just a really common thing that we've gotten used to seeing at the Capitol that feels a little bit different after everything we saw last week. And just curious, like how you're feeling. So I'm feeling normal, but also not sure if that's (laughs) if I should feel as comfortable as I am or not.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a little unsettling to see images in Washington DC where someone has written murder the media on a, uh, on a door in the US Capitol. And, um, that's not really the, the vibe that I've gotten at any protests in Montana over the last year, even though there have been several protests we've reported on that, um, have seen people show up with arms, whether open carry or, or concealed carry. And, um, while I, tend to try to keep my head on a swivel after an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Um, you know there's been there's been notice that there's that um, security at the state capitol has been uh, beefed up a little bit it doesn't feel uh, like there's a bigger law enforcement presence around the capitol but um, it it is clear that people are taking this seriously I think at the state level and at the federal level and so, um, that certainly gives me some sense of security. And so, um, I think a lot of how I'm going to feel is just going to see what happens this weekend and just see where, where people stand, if they're willing to talk or if they, um, if they feel adversarial right out of the gate, um, that's kind (laughs) of going to set the tone, I think, at least in Montana for the, for the days to
0: come. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've covered a lot of, um, demonstrations and rallies at the Capitol. Um, and some of them are, you know open carry in you know their armed events um and there's usually people in the crowd that you know will go out of their way to you know make a proclamation to us with press badges on that you know we're we're you know doing an injustice to the country um and there's i personally i never really had a fear of um violence coming from some of these protesters and and those that are armed and and I it makes me wonder if it's just, you know, being in a, a state where um, you do see people open carrying and, th- and there is kind of a prolific gun culture, um, if there's just a certain less of a, a, a an on edge feeling when you're around guns, just because we live in Montana and we are around guns, but certainly seeing what happened at the Capitol last week, it's made me pause and think about how. Um, these peaceful protests, uh, that do have firearms involved could quickly turn, um, if somebody chose to, uh, make that happen. Um, so yeah, we've certainly entered a, a new, a new paradigm of thinking, um, covering these sorts of things, uh, for sure since last week, uh but even with these increased safety measures and uncertainty leading up to inauguration day, there's still a lot of legislating that's happening. Um, bills are running through committees so far. The pace is pretty quick. Um, and Tom, I'd like to chat with you a little bit about, uh, what some of the fish and
3: wildlife bills that are being
0: discussed that, that you're following.
3: Yeah, Tom, uh, it's our usual, um, lively list of enthusiastic, uh, fish and wildlife bills that always seem to, uh, get people either fired up or, um, you, you know, there's some pretty, um, just kind of nice ones this, this session though, I will say there's one to add free fishing to mother's day weekend. Um, so far we've seen a couple other bills. Um, one would, um, both increase the fine for trespassing while hunting, um, as well as on a second offense, you would lose your license for a year. Um, we've also seen mandatory trapper education introduced. That's been a big issue for more than a decade, um, trying to get that across the finish line. And, and this very well might be the session um, that that happens. But uh, one that I know um, you and I have talked a lot about, because, you know, we're both hunters and both journalists, is um, it's a bill that came up two years ago. And um, uh, Senator Joe Kohnauer of East Helena is bringing back some, some additional language this year, but it's talking about um, how uh the state of Montana um, collects wildlife location data, um, who should have access to it, and um, what should be the allowable uses of it?
0: So, okay. So I think a lot of people who probably don't hunt and probably haven't gone through the throes of trying to find elk on public land may not understand exactly how uh wildlife data obtained by state biologists can even be used in hunting or is even controversial can we maybe rewind and and uh not necessarily provide hypotheticals but maybe lay out why this is concerning to people who um are are uh worried that the
3: use of this data may result in unethical hunting sure so well it's not necessarily written into law montana's hunting laws do promote something called fair chase uh, which essentially means that um, the animals you're hunting have a reasonable opportunity to get away and that the technology you're using um won't create an unfair advantage for for the humans um so with that in mind uh what you have is, you know, legitimate research projects, um, surveys, and the state of Montana currently has about 1,100 individual animals with GPS locations. Um, and what um, a handful of hunters, and actually it's more than a handful, it's about um, over 25, I think, in the last two years, um, have requested um, the, the, that location data. So it's real time. This elk is at this Um, specific GPS coordinate at this time. Um, And they are, some of them are self-reporting that, Hey, this is for the purpose of hunting. I'm going to get this data and then I'm going to go out and try to find these animals. Um, That pretty much does fly in the face of of fair chase hunting. Um, The idea that, you know, the state of Montana is going to, you can't, for example, use a drone to go up and find an animal and then go try to hunt it the same day. Um, You can't, fly in in a helicopter and go try to find animals and then go hunt them. So certainly something like a GPS collar that gives you the exact location would, would fall in that sort of realm of ethics, ethical questions. Um, so what we saw in 2019 was Konaver initially brought a bill that would have banned the actual release of that data. Now, what we ran into there was the Montana constitution, um, this is data that is produced by a state agency, collected and stored by a state agency, and really, there's no nothing in the Montana Constitution that offers any protection for that data. Um, that says you can't. There would there would even be a mechanism to not release it. Um, so what you saw was the Montana Newspaper Association came in as an opponent on that um, that bill, saying you can't start adding provisions in in law that take away the public's right to know. Um, Well, we don't disagree that this is uh, an an, an important issue for hunters. um, This is not a good precedent and not something, not a road we need to go down. So what we saw was um, a revamped bill that essentially said, you must release that data, um, but it can't be used for hunting.
0: So when it all boils down, we've kind of got this philosophical debate between open government, uh, open access to state-owned data, and uh, legislating against you know the unethical harvest of big game. But so uh, there's got to be some nuance there. Who besides these hunters um, makes use of this data, and, and why? should it still be available for that purpose?
3: So, um, for example, another opponent on that bill was the oil and gas industry. Um, and the reason they came out against it is because they use that data for environmental reviews. Um, you know, say you want to put a oil well, um, someplace you're going to want to know where sage, sage grass licks are, um, other things like that. Um, so there, there's definitely legitimate purposes for that. And just beyond hunting, I mean, it can be wildlife watchers. It can be photographers, um, anything like r- really anybody has a right to request this data. The state has no means to say, no, you can't have it. Um, but, uh, but again, it does run into a fairly narrow area of, of hunter ethics that I think was the primary concern.
0: So uh, just to just to. Put a bow on this. Where, how does the legislation stand now, and and where does it go from here?
3: So, um, wh- what happened is that the bill went in um, well after the 2019 session. The Environmental Quality Council, which is a, an interim legislative committee, took it up, um, and they worked on it and worked on it. And um, Koenauer is bringing another bill that would uh, do a few things. Um, essentially, it would. Um, not change the fact that it, this is public information and that the state of Montana has it and must release it. Um, but it would uh, narrow what type of information that they would release. Um, it essentially it would be the smallest geographical area um, that made sense without sort of um, offering that exact location. So it'd be more like, you know, a section or a township or general location. Um it also puts some requirements that when they do release this data, that it's clear to those people who are releasing it, um, or that are receiving it, that what what are the prohibited uses of it, um, you know, that you can't use it for hunting, um, and that um, this data, there's concerns about what would happen if it is misused in that way. Is there any talk about?
0: Um bringing down some sort of, uh, enforceable statute for if somebody was, uh, caught using this data, um, in the, for the intent of, of hunting animals?
3: Sure. So that is actually, um, was in the original bill, um, that it, it, it is illegal to acquire this data and use it for the purpose of hunting, um. I know when the last time I talked to the game wardens, which was um, a while ago, they hadn't charged anybody under that statute. Um, There was some thought that, you know, it it would be kind of a difficult one to prove. But I think the comment was that, you know, we investigate a lot of things that are difficult to prove and investigate. So um, to my knowledge, nobody yet has been charged for for this, but um, it is on the books. Uh, thanks, Tom. I, I think before we wrap up
0: today, let's go around the room and um, see what everybody's looking at going into the end of this week and next week. Uh, Seaborn, what are you What are you going to be watching?
1: On Monday, there's going to be a hearing for two bills from Representative John Fuller in the House Judiciary Committee. Those bills would, uh, first off, require all high school students, student-athletes, to um, only participate in the, uh, sports that align with the gender they were assigned at birth. The other bill would actually fine, uh, healthcare providers up to $50,000 for performing gender reassignment surgery to someone who's under 18. So we'll be watching that on Monday. Yeah, I'm sure those will, those will draw a lot of,
0: uh, testimony and debate. Holly, what are you going to be looking at?
2: Um, Right after we finish recording this, Governor Gianforte um, might be announcing some new changes to the state's COVID directive. So we'll be watching that. And then the uh, legislative COVID panel was supposed to meet earlier this week, but pushed it back because they didn't really have kind of nailed down any changes to legislative procedures or policies that they wanted to put in there. So I think they're ready to kick off with that on Thursday morning. So watching that pretty closely.
0: Thanks, Holly. Uh, hey, Tom, I know that Cohen wildlife data bill that we had just talked about is coming up uh, on Thursday. Besides that, what else are you going to be looking at going into next week?
3: Um, so I, right now I'm kind of looking at um, sort of the breadth of some of these issues. Um, there's a number of bills dealing with wolves, a number of bills dealing with trapping. Um, we're starting to see some interest in um, some of the elk and, and licensing around um, elk hunting. So I, I think primarily, well, I I'm, can't throw out an individual bill we're looking at. We're going to be looking at um, talking to some of these lawmakers um, who are bringing um, a bunch of these bills and, and trying to wrap that up into um, sort of an issue um, based, some, some issue based reporting. All right,
0: folks, that's another episode of Big Sky Lead. Uh, as always, if you want to keep hearing this, subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Thanks, guys.
2: Hey, awesome.